Hello everyone, I'm very happy that we will be doing a very nice conversation with Somi Padmanaba. I'm very happy that he accepted my invitation to talk from his spiritual perspective about the psychological issues of our contemporary life. He's a Bhakti Yoga practitioner from more than 20 years and he has deep realizations and very practical knowledge. So think for sure that this interview will be of benefit to you all. So, thank you Maharaj and uh, very nice to have you here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Very happy to share with you and with all of you as well. Um, maybe I would like mm. to ask you uh, as a beginning about the psychological issues and uh, we see that there is kind of a pandemia of anxiety and depression uh, what you feel and what you think about this condition from your spiritual perspective? Hmm. Well, you mentioned the word pandemic and of course nowadays that's somehow connected with coronavirus and interestingly your question didn't mention coronavirus but you spoke about pandemics of anxiety and depression but somehow or other one pandemics is not leading necessarily to the other but mostly it's highlighting that other pandemic was, was already there, but somehow became like triggered by the specific like dynamics and circumstances of, in this case, what the virus implied, like quarantine and, and really being forced, if you will, to, to remain in isolation or trying to be more time with yourself and with others. And I think all the things, of course, are, are already there, that those are part of our daily life but put us in a very like direct way with many fears and many non-resolved issues in our psychology on a daily life that sometimes we may prefer not to pay attention to as I sometimes say we throw them to the shed of our subconscious and conscious instead of facing them and trying to accept that there is something that needs to be integrated uh, what sometimes I refer to the integration of complexity that sometimes gets in the way of our real uh, progress. So a pandemic, for example, like the one we're going through through the last years, I think, in one sense, one, we may say that's a curse, something that shouldn't be happening and so many negative connotations are there. But in another sense, <laughs> it has brought a lot of light in the sense of maybe shedding light on our shadow, if you will, not trying to show us uh, those unresolved issues that we need to solve sooner or later. So, for example, I, I know that nowadays the the number of people, I don't know, committing suicide or killing others and, and domestic violence, all this increases exponentially, in part because we were forced by circumstance to be together at home more time than usual, being with others closely more time than usual, being with ourselves more time than usual, and maybe we realized we didn't know too much what to do with that. We realized we were not ready for such a, a situation, and the result of that was whatever the form it may take, depression, anxiety, violence, with all of them are, according to the view of yoga and Vedanta, not so much the problem in itself, but the sim different symptoms of the real and only problem that we may conceive, which is um, lack of, if you will, lack of education, we call that in Sanskrit terms, abhidya, which means 
Vidya means education or knowledge and Abhidya means lack of education about who we are and therefore who others are as well, who, what everything is. So that lack of education may t take us to misidentify with who you are. And of course, when you try to relate with something from the wrong perspective, if I take you as something that you are not, and I insist in that wrong perspective, and I conceive myself in a wrong way, you can just imagine the result of that equation or combination. So the pandemic has really, in one sense, has been a blessing in the sense of it's showing us, for example, how much we may be still fearful of death because it's something that appears so close to us. Okay, I may be the next one. And maybe without pandemic, I may, I may be the next one as well. But <laughs> certain dynamics in life make us like become especially aware of something that it was already there, but we were not too, too aware of. And especially I will also conceive that the pandemic like nowadays is very powerful, it's bringing us a very powerful message of uh, how things are out of our control, how many of the things that we would like to be in a certain way uh, are not to, to be so, no, are not destined to be in that particular way, and how when something gets out of our control, we start to get deep anxiety, deep fear, because out of our control implies there's no control or there's some other control, but it's not mine and I have maybe not learned to trust that other control. Because actually, as I always say, one nice Buddhist quote once I read, there was a person meditating very peacefully in one lake, in one picture, and the quote say, relax, everything is out of control. <laughs> no, because generally we think relax, I will relax when everything is under control. But the quote says, everything's out of control. Not out of control in every sense, but out of your control. Which doesn't mean we should be lazy and not do our part, but we should understand in the, in the bigger scheme of things, in the bigger picture, we are not to control everything that is happening. And when something is throwing us, us out of our comfort zone, sometimes that becomes too, too uncomfortable. and We get too nervous or too violent. To this, too bewildered, and we may act in ways that we ourselves may be surprised. Why did I do that? Why did I do this? And so on. So some ideas, and of course, one more thing that comes to my mind in connection to to a pandemic like this one, <clears throat> it's also showing about how how much, again, everything is not in our full control, but at the same time we have free will, and there is some place for controlling what we choose in our life. So when we do not choose in the proper direction, for example, when we choose to damage the environment and the planet and nature, there is a point, if you multiply that for millions and millions of people doing that at the same moment, there is a moment that planet Earth will say, enough. No? So there will be some kicking, <laughs> like saying, give me a break. No? So this type for me of pandemics also has a lot to do with that, with trying to realize okay, we were not behaving that properly as, as, a, as a species, as a human race. We were not that human, actually. So it, all this that seems so unbecoming, maybe is coming for, to us to teach us a deep lesson. Sometimes the deeper lessons are the harder ones or the more painful ones. But as, as we always uh, know, pain does not necessarily mean that the situation is painful in itself. 
but I am perceiving it as painful. Because for other person the same situation might not be painful. So the question is actually why this is painful for me. And, and, and of course the, that judgment comes in our own minds, in our own hearts. No? So some ideas that I think could help us to to realize what's the background, the underlying invisible background to all these statistics and numbers, the increasing of violence and anxiety and depression, how we should turn more inwards and not be afraid of that, of course, trying to get proper advice, proper guidance and gradually entering more in touch with our deeper, deepest sides. And as the more we do that, the more we will, we will be able to deal with any situation that will come in our lives, that may come at any moment without our having planned that things. No? Yeah, very important, <clears throat> important points you mentioned. Uh, one thing about the integration of complexity and uh, the losing and the sense of control or appreciating that we don't have control, many of the psychological issues come from that root. Mm. I feel that I don't have control mm. and this makes me feel unsafe, that mm. I'm in danger. Mm. And from these uh, opposites, in one way, I fear that I'm not in control. Mm. In the other opposite, I try to gain control mm. and we start to gain control to intrusive thoughts, compulsive behaviors mm. and all these are like coping mechanisms. So how can we um, integrate that complexity? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, as, as with many other things, you mentioned these two extremes, not this black and white tendency that we jump from one extreme of the pendulum to the other. But generally, of course, all the sages from all traditions actually have recommended what we may call the, the middle path, no? trying not to go to the extreme of, I want everything to be under my control. It's not possible. You can try as much as you like. It won't work. But not to the other extreme of, nothing is in my control, everything is chaotic, there is no ultimate sense of meaning or order or purpose in, in the cosmos. Some people get to those conclusions. They basically conclude there is no ultimate meaning, purpose, order, everything is chaos. So that's a dangerous stance to take also because not only you may get discouraged or depressed, but you may get just like uh, no sense of morality whatsoever because if there's no purpose, I can do whatever I like. And it's the same, so that can take to so many uh, dangerous situations. So I will say that trying to find a middle point in everything is, the, is the, the healthy and the situation and the healthy stance to take. For example, when I say everything is out of control, actually do not, I do not mean again everything. There is something that I can control. There are some choices I can make now, today. And, and it's my responsibility to do so. Uh, but the problem is that some people get <laughs> some people get discouraged when they feel uh, some there's no control from my side. But some other people may get afraid when I tell them you have to decide something in your life. You have to take responsibility, be committed. And it's like I will prefer that someone else is controlling everything. So different cases will be afraid of <laughs> the other the other side of the coin, if you will. But the healthy idea will be, again, that, some, that most of the things are out of my control doesn't mean that everything is out of control absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because that will imply, if it's not under my control, 
it's out of control. And that's, that's how, that's, it doesn't work like that. I mean, we are not the, the ultimate center of reality. No? So in the yogic perspective, there is a higher uh, ultimate consciousness. Hmm? Different names are ascribed to it in different traditions, but there is a higher agency, if you will, of control, of harmony, of uh, ascribing the result of our actions, which is a very important point in, in the Indian uh, outlook, karma, uh, which means whatever you do, it's carrying some implications, some reaction. So it's not a chastisement law, but it's an educational law that you learn through making mistakes sometimes. <laughs> but the spirit of the law is trying to uplift you, to upgrade you. So I will say it's, it's healthy to, to, to understand Actually, the, f the, the fact that some things are not in my control, most of them, doesn't mean that A, everything is out of control, no, and B, I have nothing to do, no, I have something to do. So there's one part of each one of us as beings, we call it free will, however you may like to put it, and there is responsibility, and again, we may be afraid of responsibility, but in, in responsibility is, is growth, is progress, so... No matter how small may be the choice that I can make today, I mean, if I do it properly, that will give me in, in tomorrow or later today a bigger chance of making better choices and deeper choices and broader choices. In the beginning, if we do not exercise our will in the best possible way, we may feel contracted, but the more our choices are better informed, the more our will will be free. Will. Now, free will doesn't mean I can do whatever I like. It doesn't work like that. But the yogi tradition will recommend try to contact reality in such a way that you realize that there is some underlying control. And the control is not a bad word also because sometimes with control we may connect with dictatorship or authoritarian regimes. <laughs> but you can also control someone by, by love, by affection. And the great example is the mother and the child on her lap. The two of them are controlled by each other, by the force of love. And the two of them are okay. It's not that I don't want this control anymore. The two of them are charmed with each other. So there is a possibility of control through love. And for us, that's a, the ultimate control in life. How everything is under control in life is through love. And until and unless we learn to love ourselves, we won't be able to fully grasp and understand how everything is controlled by love, how love is the ultimate force in, in the universe, basically. Yeah. <laughs> oh, very nice. Uh, in this context, many times in the psychological uh, issues presents one problem. Uh, we go to one of these opposites, self-sacrifice or self-love or self-sufficiency. Many of the people I met on their, meet on everyday daily basis they have this tendency to over-self-sacrifice, mm -hmm. like neglecting needs, mm, suppressing some desires, feelings, and do everything for the others, everything for the work, and go to that extreme. And when they uh, reach some burnout, they go to the other only self-sufficiency, ultra-independence, no mutual self-worth, like putting some barriers and like this mm -hmm. and this is also like uh, maybe one thing to integrate but what are your thoughts about that yeah again we 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 are speaking in the same 
we are on the same page speaking about integration of, of complexity and these unresolved extremes that, that actually are two faces of the same coin. So one side extreme of self-sacrifice which maybe may be closely tied with codependence <laughs> where I really give myself in a toxic way, unhealthy way for others but also it's not ultimately in for the pleasure of others or in the service of others. I actually take that stance because I want to obtain from them a certain reaction that will serve my purpose of my existential void, if you will, that I need to fulfill through them. Actually, I will slave myself to them, so they slave my, themselves to me. They become my... and react as I will need. So it's, it seems like self-sacrifice and something very like honorable um, um, but in the in the ultimate underlying thing is still some personal need that I need to fulfill but I'm not doing that of course in, in a healthy way because as you mentioned I'm doing like denying even my own individuality and I'm going to extremes and the point is that I won't be able to really please other persons in, 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 the, in a substantial way if I'm not trying to be myself the best that I can, I mean, if I'm trying to deny my own individuality, externally it may seem everything is okay, but internally I will feel something else is going on and it's not okay. <laughs> so self-sacrifice in the context of, I mean, it's not bad, the word sacrifice is not a bad word. It comes to sacrificio in Latin, I speak Spanish, it's quite connected, sacro officio, which means like sacred, sacro. Officio is like work. Hmm. So sacrificio or sacrifice sorry, means like sacred engagement. So that's the real idea of sacrifice. I know that sometimes in practice people have misunderstood the term and now you hear the word that it may, you may not like to hear it again, if you will. But real sacrifice means I accept to certain challenges in my life that I feel themselves as difficult but I know they are helping me to become the best possible version of myself. Now, it's, it's on that sustainable level. It's not that I over-endeavor to the point of burning myself totally or to the point of self-denial of my own individuality, but as an individual, I try to accept the challenge of becoming a better person every single day. And, and sacrifice means that, like a healthy pinching, if you will, to grow today a little bit, tomorrow a little bit, because as I always say, if we don't go for the difficult things, <laughs> generally we, when we hear something is difficult, we tend to evade that, like to escape from that. We want the, the easier way, the easier path. But actually, if something is easy, means there's nothing to learn from that. I already know how to do that. There's no challenge involved. And it's boring eventually. <laughs> if I do, some, if I play guitar and, and I already know how to play some particular scale, and my teacher doesn't give me something more difficult, I get discouraged. I would say I will stop coming to these classes. But if he gives me something extremely difficult to the point of being impossible, I also get discouraged. <laughs> so I get discouraged when something is impossible and when something is easy. So the middle point between easy and impossible is difficult. Mm -hmm. So. So, so this has to do with, with this idea of trying to, to do some sacrifice in a healthy way, embracing my individuality, because that's a big challenge also. Sometimes it's easier to just go with the current, if you will, do not think 
as an individual and just do copy paste of whatever everyone else is doing, saying, thinking. <laughs> but there is a big price to, to make our individuality like blossom, but not to the other extreme of like self-sufficiency and where I just see myself as absolutely like independent from everything and everyone because that can take to different unhealthy stances like pride or or whatever seeing myself like separated from reality I mean I'm not dependent we are dependent on so many things in the Indian tradition this is very nicely exhibited from the very first moment of the day when they do for example in yoga this Surya Namaskar which is like offering some salutations to the sun in the sunrise in the morning and this is not only some physical exercise and movement but has to do with acknowledging oh without the sun there is no light without the light there is no life basically so our daily life depends in so many ways from the sun so we have minimum to look at him once a day and say thank you <laughs> some gratitude like imply I'm not independent in regarding to this self-sufficiency I can by myself well if I take the light of the sun the air you are breathing the water you are drinking and not only from this bigger cos cosmological reality but even so many people in your life that is giving you support affection knowledge nourishing I mean, we are interdependent. We have our independency, if you will, but it's in the context of healthy dependence. There is a place for being healthy. As I gave the example of the baby and the mother, the baby is really dependent on the mother, but it's a healthy way. It's not something that the baby says, I don't want to, I want to be independent now, leave me alone. He's receiving affection and nourishment. So again, we should try to to find a middle path no? that, that is... I. I have my individuality, I have to take responsibility for myself, but also I'm an, a part of a whole. So there are so many other things that are playing their role and I'm depending on them, so I should be humble to acknowledge that, to be grateful for all those many things I can't provide to myself independently. So I should have that type of awareness, but also at the same time, not again, not to the other extreme of not doing anything and, and, and going for some healthy sacrifice. Now, interestingly, in, in, the, in the sacred text from India, one of them called the Bhagavad Purana or Srimad Bhagavatam, it is some stories describe about the beginnings of the creation, if you will, of the, or the birth of the whole cosmic manifestation. And it is said that the very first created being, Brahma, the very first word he heard when he didn't know what to do because it is said he was all by himself in the universe was tapa, tapa, and these two syllables which mean basically sacrifice in a healthy way, sustainable. <laughs> and interestingly, when he heard this word sacrifice, he started to meditate. He started like to look deeper into himself. Mm -hmm. Not sacrifice doesn't necessarily mean externally, physically, ex no like doing something extremely extreme <laughs> but just maybe looking inside that may be a whole sacrifice for most of us who are living nowadays in, in a particularly distracted society and world so yes. some ideas <laughs> in this context uh, there is also this like opposite and psychological <laughs> issue loneliness and belonging to superficial things like we try to belong to our work for place maybe or nationality, sexuality 
but they these things kind of don't give this sense of true belonging and on the other extreme we are feeling isolated lonely well again we go back to the term of abhidya which i mentioned before regarding lack of education about our own selves and these things happen because of that because we don't have a clear picture of who we really are and we are trying to find ourselves in one direction or another we're trying to to fit with certain uh, designations or some particular sense of identity but at the end the point is that according to the vision of, of the east and not only of the east for sure and i'm sure according to our intuitive uh, experience we are permanent beings we are eternal we are not temporary no we are not here today and gone tomorrow we are there forever so the problem with these different types of i i try to belong in this direction in that direction is that generally those belongings are tied to temporary situations to temporary identities my body my country my football team my whatever something that with time it won't be there so there comes a fracture between who we are who we would like to be and who we actually are now, interestingly instead of trying to to become something <laughs> we should pay attention to who we already are mm. and sometimes that's the problem we are trying to add designations and things on our sense of identity put material possessions money extreme sense enjoyment to belong to belong to something or make people or things to belong to us now this is these are the, this type of polarities we spoke the other day sometimes our sense of i depends on our sense of mine no whatever is mine that's who i am mm -hmm. he's no i was born in this country this is my country he is my son i am his father he is my brother i'm his brother so my sense of i depends on my sense of my but the vedic or the or the indian tradition teaches us ultimately and this may be a little bit shocking for some but nothing belong to us actually that will should create some sense of deep relief <laughs> because sometimes we are really trying to make everything belong to us that's one of the direction and in time we see that so many things are coming and going my car my this but our sense who we really are remains there so the problem here is when you when we try to belong or try something else to belong to us that is temporary and we are not temporary we are permanent so this is this clashing of realities temporary versus eternal we are eternal so according to the vision knowledge wisdom of yoga we are eternal and we should try to belong to the eternal we should try to feel this belonging and we should try to understand that's our ultimate permanent identity and when that is properly established and we are leading our life in that way fear basically disappears because fear which is i will say the most pervading <laughs> experience in, in in the material realm if you will is because of that fear of death mainly and death basically means something will there will be an end to this at one point because again we may be identified with a temporary reality but when you go deep into certain practices and meditations and inner contemplations you will realize 
beyond all these comings and goings and changes and ups and downs of, of, of the temporary realm, there is a permanent being in me. There is a permanent being in me. So try, trying to get focused in that direction, that's really, uh, really relieving uh, and gives you lots of hope and lots of joy and natural joy in it. It's not about trying to be happy. <laughs> and that, as one person once said, no? the main cause of suffering is that we are trying to be happy instead of realizing all that, have, that, all that is already in us. So we are like sitting on, on the treasure. We are looking for the treasure in every direction, but we don't realize we are sitting on top of that. So we, it's closer than what we think. <laughs> so yeah, yoga, and which includes a lot of psychology, implies try to look inside with proper guidance because I know it may be a little bit like mysterious to go there, scary. <laughs> but and, and that's the point we mentioned the other day, no? Generally, we are afraid of those things we don't know. So even if we have a beautiful and bright potential waiting for us, if it's unknown to us, we may be afraid of that only be just because it is unknown, not because it is bad, just because something that is unknown creates certain sense of fear. But in time, it's nice that we get accustomed to deal with the unknown, because what is known, again, as I mentioned, is part of the comfort zone, it's part of something that you ultimately is boring and not fully satisfying. No? So we need to to go deep to this idea and, and really understand how to yeah how to accommodate this sense of belonging in connection to to permanent values, to permanent to our permanent being, who we are. Really. And this permanent being it's kinda of suffocated from this on the one side this urgency culture everything should happen now and I'm already late and my to-do list and also on the other extreme we have this uh, sense of uh, okay I will go with the flow I live for the moment and this is kind of uh, swimming in the pool of uh, instant gratification mm -hmm. and our permanent being is kind of not reached yeah yeah, totally. And of course, this is really a sign of of our times, no? Like the, the, the life dynamics are getting on one side, like faster and faster and faster and faster. And, and we, I mean, every time we are doing more things <laughs> and we have less and less time at the same time <laughs> for, for really doing what we need, if you will. Uh, working more time than before. So we say, okay, I will have more money, but then you don't have time to use that money or, or by working so much you get sick and you need to invest all that money in that. So at the end of the day you became drained and you become like exhausted and you are just carried by the current. And, and, and I know it's not an easy thing. I'm not using the word easy in regarding to this because we are really very much inf influenced by the environment and we were maybe. So naturally if certain current goes in one direction it may not be that easy to go against that but somehow some adjustment should be done because if we feel I'm not satisfied with this and I'm in constant anxiety you know, in, in India we have these three terms I'm sorry if I'm mentioning too many Sanskrit words today but some brief ones Sattva, Rajas and Tamas sometimes called the Gunas or with, like you have the three main colors red, yellow and blue which mean all the other colors these three uh, 
if you will, levels of experience are coloring our daily life in particular way. So sattva rajas and tamas have to do with sattva is more like balance, equilibrium, and is connected with the present moment. Rajas is more with desire and agitation and anxiety and is more connected with the future. And tamas, which is considered is the, the finest darkness, uh, it has more to do with uh, violence and nostalgia and depression and the past. No. So sometimes we try to, again, regarding these three phases of time, of course the most recommended thing is try to be in the present, but as, we, as I will say in a particular way, because sometimes we try to escape the present and fly into the future with this like anxiety level, I need to do this, I'm not going this, I have... And always we are looking towards something that will never happen actually, because when you are there you already are looking to something more in the future and to something more in the future, and you are never living in the present moment. And the present moment is the only moment, as one sage in, in my native country, Argentina, said, Facundo Cabral, he said, try to get accustomed to live in the present because you will live there for eternity. <laughs> like in playing, there's no other place to be actually. <laughs> so when you force yourself into the future and the past, you cannot go back into the past and make everything, change everything. Or you cannot travel to the future and arrange every all the things all those things are to be worked on in the present the present you have the exact measure of past and future present there because in the present you receive the result of your past actions bearing fruit in the present and in the present according to how you are, you act now here that will determine your future so that exact measure of future and past that you need the one that is in the present if you were more than that you are entering to some like evasive mechanism and so on. But of course also inhabiting the present is just, as you mentioned, it's not just like, okay, I'll be in the present, and let's go with the flow and whatever happen, happens or something like this. Of course, if you are a very highly enlightened spiritual practitioner and you are really in touch with the ultimate source of everything, you may say that same thing, but from a very different perspective that someone may say that same thing from an evasive per perspective, a lazy perspective, or just being carried away. Okay, I'm in the present and I just live what I want, what I want, and that may be more like a promotion of extreme selfishness only. Like, I do not care about anything except for what I want myself now. And you can ask those people how satisfied they are and really <laughs> and how deep is their daily experiences and I'm sure by such a stance it's not possible to it's not sustainable to begin with no? because if you really are attentive to what's coming to you in the present really attentive it's so much sacredness coming you know, so much revelations and insects you will receive in the present that you will you won't just say oh, whatever whatever I like I will try to obtain that in a like in a whimsical way, in a, in a, in a, yeah, in a selfish way, but you will mostly like, like witnessing a, a revelation that is constantly coming to you in the present moment. That's what's going on actually. So, yeah, proper psychology, proper spirituality has a lot to do with trying to catch that, that purpose, that meaning that is coming to you at every single moment that we may be missing. Maybe, you know, so. mm. And how can we connect <clears throat> this meaning 
which is coming at every time with our permanent sense of self. Mm -hmm. Well, to begin with, the idea of meaning is, of course, an important one. And, and here, with, well, with your permission, I will quote our, someone we both admire, who is Viktor Frankl and his well-known logotherapy, where he basically makes this point that life is about finding meaning and purpose. He's, it's not about being happy. He makes this like sh shocking statement because for most of us, it's like life is about being happy. And when I'm suffering, I have to do. I have to see how what I do to stop suffering. No, I want happiness. I don't want suffering. That's what life is about for most people. But maybe in, la in, in that dynamics of I want happiness. I I don't want suffering. We are missing the meaning and purpose of both happiness and suffering. <laughs> We may just running after superficial happiness, some temporary sense of enjoyment in our senses, but no deep meaning related to that. And then some suffering may come as a result of that search of false happiness. Or we may not be either very like deep and introspective what this is teaching me. So Victor Flanke say actually the meaning of life is not happiness. Of course it's not suffering also. <laughs> we are not promoting masochism but the meaning of life is purpose is meaning and the meaning of life is meaning if you will no it's to to understand to find meaning into whatever you are going through if you are going through a very joyful experience which is okay <laughs> try to to reach purpose in that do, do not just be like distracted like or anesthesia like i'm suffering i want to be happy and sometimes even when we suffer too much we will think that happiness is just stop suffering which actually is, is not the same as being positively happy. But the point is, whatever the case, you may be being happy or you may be suffering, and instead of trying to escape from suffering, we should understand what's, what this wants to teach me, actually. What's the teaching there? All of our main sacred texts in India start with this type of like, breakthrough situations are really with deep existential problems. The famous Bhagavad Gita is... It's a dialogue between Krishna and Arjun, and basically Arjun is in a situation when he has to fight in a battlefield. He's a warrior, and he on the on the opposite army are all his dear relatives and friends. For any for certain circumstances, they happen to be on the other side, and he is expected to fight. Of course, also this represents one's own attachments and fears. And Krishna, like the guru or teacher, is saying, "Fight, kill them." Again, we are not promoting kill your relatives, but kill those things that you are attached to in a temporary way and that are actually making you suffer. And we may be afraid of that. And another book also, like the Bhagavad Purana I quoted before, there is a famous king there that is cursed to die in seven days. So again, all these shocking like scenarios. Like Imagine if someone comes and says, you have seven days to live. Which is like, okay, so which is my list of priorities in life? Where I'm pointing to... And, and death, in that sense, is very unsure if I'm going sidetracking to other directions, but it's part of the reply. That death, in that sense, is very important because death puts life in context, basically. Generally, we live as if we are not going to die. Of course, in one sense, we are not going to die. As I mentioned, we are eternal. But at the same time, our... That's not... A, I mean, it's okay if you, are, if you understand you're eternal. But if you are not identified with your eternal side... We will leave this body. That's the idea. In India, they do not say die by leaving the body, changing body. 
So the point is, generally, we live as if that will never happen. Because in one sense, we, in, we have the intuition, I'm eternal. But at the same time, we may not be fully aware of that. And we live this human life without understanding it has beginning and end. And getting attached to things that at some time we have to leave and so on. So the point is that, of course, is <clears throat> if someone tells me you have some few hours to live, immediately, I'm sure all of us, we may be having so many ideas in mind, I have to do this, I have to buy this, but if you know you have some few minutes left, the real priorities should have should come on the surface. <laughs> and all the other things, quickly you realize, oh, this was superficial. But the point is why I'm allowing myself to be distracted with all those things on a daily basis and not retain the real priorities always. Well, maybe because I think I have so much time and I can do whatever I like. And But when the moment of continuing our journey into another body comes, we may be like terrified. Now, what to do now? <laughs> so, so it's important that all this is connected to your question, not like purpose in connection to our permanence self, our, our real self. From permanent self, it means we are permanent, our self is permanent. And the fulfillment hmm. of, of our self, according to, specifically in this case, to my tradition called Bhakti, which has to do with, it's one of the different Vedantic traditions, old ancient philosophical schools of thought in India, a theistic one, uh, where the emphasis is a lot is on what we call Bhakti, or devotion, or love. So for us, uh, the ultimate sense of purpose that is tied to our self as a permanent being is not only that we are eternal, which is in already a lot. I mean, when you realize, have a glimpse of, I'm eternal, I remember having that, that experience some 20 years or more back, like, like one aha moment, like someone was saying in one lecture, we are eternal, and for a moment I... I had full experience of what does it mean to be eternal. It was such a huge relief. I mean, all everything was perfectly okay. <laughs> and for a moment you realize all my problems are tied to this identification with the non-eternal. But interestingly, in, in this tradition, say, eternality is just one aspect of who you are. So there speaks about Sat, Chit, Ananda. So Sat means you are eternal. Chit means you are conscious. You are not just inert for eternity, but you have the capacity of being aware. But the point is, there is one more ingredient that we need to make the whole equation be fulfilled, which is Ananda. Ananda means uh, love, basically. The bliss that comes from loving. So we, we can be eternal, but it doesn't make too much sense if we are not conscious. We can be eternal and conscious, but if that being eternal and conscious is not taking us to the ultimate experience of love, we can be eternally conscious of suffering, and that's not very nice for anyone. <laughs> so it all converges into this ultimate idea of Ananda, which has to do with finding bliss. But bliss, again, not so much into like superficial, quick happiness, but into purpose. You know, when we really understand... not The idea here is not so much, I will create my own purpose to everything, I will find, I will make purpose to everything, but I will discover the inherent purpose that is embedded in everything. And I know we are now in postmodern times where the tendency is whatever you feel subjectively, that's reality. No? There's nothing outside, you create your own thing, so whatever is good for you, 
that's okay. But that's also a dangerous idea because if for me it's good to kill other people, I mean, I'm just justifying something that is terrible. So our idea is not so much create your own purpose, but try to understand that reality in itself has a purpose and the meaning of life is to really discover that purpose on a daily basis more and more and more and more and find ourselves there and it's that's a whole journey and there's of course not 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 any magical formula that you press a button you are there <laughs> but it, it has all these nuances and ups and downs that in, in our daily lives that we will go through that will make actually our life worth living also, you know? so. and what uh, could be some questions that we could ask ourselves on uh, everyday basis to align to that search hmm. well first of all uh, yeah I will say that we could ask to ourselves uh, one one of the many questions could be I'm, I'm uh, am I living my day as if it were to be the last day of my life not not with fear not like paranoia but like hypothetically speaking if this were to be the last day of my life I'm living my day in the way I will like and in a way that I'm really able to feel balanced and satisfied and, and, and or not. Because sometimes this idea is there. We are not living our life as, as we are supposed to or as, as we will really like to in a healthy way and we let ourselves be trapped by so many things. But sometimes that creates the vice circle of shame and guilt and I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. I would really like to do these other things but I'm not doing them but maybe I'm not doing what I should do to do them also. So also that's a healthy question. Again, all this in a sustainable level, not to like torture us, but am I really doing my best to become the best possible version of myself today? Because as I think we were speaking about that yesterday. Sometimes it's very easy to fall into this, what we may call victim consciousness, where we throw responsibility and blame into others, into the environment, and the enemy is outside, and I put myself as a victim, and, and I'm not willing to accept. I could do something in my side to upgrade myself, to maximize my situation, instead of demanding others, you should become better because you are making me suffer, you should change this because I'm not comfortable with that. <laughs> and maybe the other person is doing their best to change, but that's their capacity at present. So instead of waiting for the other to become better and only then I will be okay, that will never happen possibly. <laughs> or instead of waiting for the whole world to be in, in harmony, we should take again full responsibility. And as Mahatma Gandhi will say, you want to see a change of the, in the world, change yourself. You are part, you are the change that you want to see in the world because you are part of the world. So we could ask that also. And we could also again continuously in a healthy way try to inquire about meaning and purpose I'm really finding meaning and purpose in everything I'm doing in my life even as someone very admired by me the, the Christian priest Thomas Merton he'll say you try to find meaning and purpose in the most in those things of your daily life that you consider them the most ordinary when you may feel, oh, this is totally ordinary. I don't know, I have to go to the bathroom or whatever. Try to find some purpose there. Because probably there is something extraordinary that you can extract from the so-called ordinary. 
and try to keep in that idea. And, and again, sometimes it's not enough for us ourselves to to maintain that. And sometimes, and that's an important principle of universal spiritualities, try to keep the company of other like-minded people that may create a, a feedback no? and an influence, a positive influence in your life, especially people who may you may consider more advanced, more mature, but at the same time who are really friendly and well-wisher. So those types of friendships and companies will really affect your life, will really create a new paradigm, a new a shift in, in, in your list of priorities and values. And, 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 and it's nice that we may, may remain open. That's another good question. How much I am open to, to change, for example, mm -hmm. today? I'm willing to learn because, again, it's not so much about being right. It's much about being willing to learn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you may speak with someone, and, and generally the, uh, there is a statistic done on that, that sometimes when two people speak, in, they ask them, are you more concerned with being right or with finding the truth? And like 90% say being right. So that's problematic. <laughs> mm -hmm. So how much we are willing to keep learning, which means knowing the truth, no? Because sometimes we may be too much too sure of what we think we are, we know, and it's healthy to leave some door open for the possibility of we may be mistaken <laughs> or, or we may not be mistaken, but what we have can be bigger also. What we understand can go deeper also. When we reach this type of absolute idea, this is everything, I know everything, and this you are not giving any more space for progress, so you will feel, feel immediately stagnated, like stuck. Huh? Mm -hmm. So, so those, those types of questions, I think, and, and, and of course, how much, how do I, I am relating with other people, how much I'm, how nicely I'm communicating, communication is such a crucial aspect of our life, how, how clear I am in my communication, how much I'm willing to hear the other people. Again, not like from doubting it's extremely about my integrity or, or, or going getting into paranoia but a healthy inquiry like mm -hmm. how can i do it better today a little bit today and tomorrow a little bit more and so on and so forth no? mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in this context sometimes even when a person already starts to search for meaning and it's uh, open to learn gets to that extreme and it's caught up in that life trap of perfectionism. Mm. Like we want to be <clears throat> perfect, we want to do everything in a perfect way, and even that we want to, I see the lesson, I want to learn, but that starts a bit neurotic to be, and on the other extreme, I'm too vulnerable, I'm too weak. Mm -hmm. And people think that uh, if uh, I escape from this perfectionism, mm -hmm. I will be too vulnerable, too weak. Mm. So I, I cannot let myself in that. I need to push, push more. Mm. Mm. Yeah, again, we have the two extremes that need to be reconciliated and properly integrated. Because if you are looking for meaning, ultimate meaning, what to do? Because there are levels of meaning. Now you can say like on some level of meaning, but what's the ultimate meaning of everything? And when you really get in touch with ultimate meaning, you realize this is infinite. It's eternal. I'm eternal and the ultimate meaning is eternal. There's no end to this. How deep can I go here? So the idea here is that perfectionism is not a very good 
stance to take in front of the infinite, if you will. <laughs> because, I mean, that will get you neurotic, basically. And, and generally, this, this necessity of for perfection, at least in our tradition particularly, we'll say that's more a demand of the ego than a necessity of the heart. The heart doesn't need perfection. The, the, the ego wants perfection, everything to be perfect. And of course, we live in a society that sometimes presents this idea, everything is perfect. In, in publicity, everything looks perfect. And we even subliminally and consciously, we feel this pushing, this pressure, I have to be perfect. Mm. Because everyone is perfect and it seems only you will only be successful if you are perfect. Or at least if you present yourself as perfect and you have to put the Photoshop in your picture in Instagram and you have to be perfect because you are full of fear that if I'm not perfect, nobody will love me, nobody will accept me, I will remain alone. So you try to be perfect out of fear, but which perfection is that one? <laughs> so real perfection comes out of faith, compassion and love and confidence. I mean, real love and what I will call unconditional love. Generally in this world we are really a fearful uh, and we, for us, that's a good w w way of putting that. We sometimes find so much difficulty in recognizing our mistakes because we are so fearful that if I accept that I'm wrong, I'm imperfect, people will stop loving me because this narrative is there in subliminally. Only if you are perfect, you will be loved and successful. So even subconsciously, we'll say, We'll, we, we won't be able to accept any wrongs in, that, in us because I want to be loved. So the only way of breaking that type of mechanism is when you find unconditional love. Unconditional love means someone who sees you with all your imperfections and still loves you. Who is not telling you, well, call me when you are perfect and I will love you then. It doesn't work like that. Sometimes in this world the relationships do not work because of that. Because... When we start a relationship, we kind of have an existential void in our heart. And we see the other person as having the same size of our void. <laughs> and the other person is thinking the same. I have this hole here. And that person seems to really fit. But you idealize the other person according to your fears. And, and, and you project, oh, she's perfect. Oh, he's perfect. And of course, after some time you, of knowing each other, realize we are not perfect. And it's so difficult to continue loving each other with imperfections included, but that's what love is about. Love is about, I love you no matter how imperfect you are. And ego is, first become perfect, then I love you, mm. which is not very loving. <laughs> so generally, in that connection for us, perfection is not so important because <laughs> we can love without the, waiting for the other to be perfect. And, and when you yourself become perfect, there's also no limit to that spiritually speaking, because it's connected with the eternality of the soul, with the infinite, there's no limit to perfection. So it's a way of saying perfection, but actually, like if you receive a PhD, and you could say that's the perfection of psychology, but on top of that, you can continue developing your career without limits, even though you reach the technical level of perfection in this world, in that career, but you can continue growing without limits. So... So on one side, this, this idea of, of, of perfection and regarding vulnerability for us, that's, of course, not necessarily a bad word, because 
to be vulnerable doesn't necessarily mean to be weak or to be like to have low self-esteem or to play the victim. It can happen in that sense, of course, and it's not healthy with this extreme of of, of perfectionism. But I think a, a good key to avoid this extreme is to understand that actually there is a, a place for healthy vulnerability. But again, we, again, we go back to this moment of unconditional love. We are fearful of showing ourselves vulnerable because sometimes in this world we have shown that side of us and we have been exploited because the other person didn't know what to do with our vulnerability also because it's such a delicate moment and valuable thing you are showing that if you are not trained and educated to know how to honor or respect others' vulnerability you may end up destroying the other person even without having the intention so we may have shown our vulnerability and realized oh no, every, every time I tried it didn't work, my heart was destroyed. So I will go to the other extreme, I will be perfect, I will sh I put this barrier in front of me and I will show myself perfect, even though I'm still vulnerable. <laughs> so the point is, it's not a problem in, in being vulnerable. The, 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 actually, it's, it's a great potential in vulnerability. There is a lot of empowerment, in, but only when you express that vulnerability in the proper context. Again, when someone who has unconditional love, who is loving you despite your faults. So you show yourself in this vulnerable side, but you are receiving affection, you are receiving compassion, understanding. So vulnerable means I open myself extremely to be affected mm. by whatever is coming, <laughs> be good or bad. So if that's good, I mean, that's super empowering huh? if you really show your vulnerable side. But we should know again, where to express that side of us, knowing that unfortunately not every person is expert in dealing with their own vulnerability and therefore with others' vulnerability. But if properly done, both this idea of perfection and vulnerability can be nicely integrated in the context of unconditional love, not conditional love under conditions, under a contract. But hmm, that's importance again of good so good company, good friends, good guidances, elders that we can learn from and we can receive this deep uh, emotions and deep and wise advice. So. The Sufi poet Rumi has a nice quote, you need to break your heart until it opens. Mm. Uh, so it's kind of in that direction that mm -hmm. you need to... Yeah, yeah. And, and, and in Japan also they have this tradition called Kintsugi, where if a jar, porcelain jar breaks, breaks, generally we, if something breaks, we will throw it immediately and buy a new one. <laughs> but what they will do is like they will pour liquid gold in all the parts that it was broken and will remake the jar and they will highlight all the broken parts. Like implying this broken stuff is actually part of the history of this item and it's helping it to become even more no? so in connection to the broken heart if you will and the pieces and how to piece, put the pieces all together and we could say that the more the heart is the jar is broken the more gold you feel and at one point everything will be filled with gold after so many breakings <laughs> so in the same way we we need sometimes to go through this strong experiences in life but we have to have confidence and trust it's not that we will get lost and will be broken completely but if, if properly if we do 
experience them in the proper context, with proper guidance, proper light, even those more most painful moments will end up like being this pure gold filling our hearts and making it like something more and more brilliant and valuable, basically. Mm -hmm. And in this process of accepting our vulnerability, mm. vulnerable side, uh, what role does humility play in that? Mm. Well, that's quite interconnected because without humility you cannot acknowledge your vulnerability, basically. Humility, again, is not something undesirable. No? It's not something that I lend myself to be abused by others, mm. like I'm extremely naive and everyone is taking advantage of me. This has nothing to do with that. Humility, basically, I would say it's a synonym of sincerity, of recognizing who I am, my limitations, how dependent I am, as we spoke before. It's not that everything is in my control. And all the things that I realize, yeah, there are so many elements that I am depending on, and I'm so easily affected by so many things, which is not, again, necessarily bad, but that creates a moment for vulnerability when I realized I'm not omnipotent and super capable of everything it doesn't it's, there's no need to create that type of forced idea on us but to acknowledge our necessities our frailties even our doubts and fears to embrace them to accept them as part of vulnerability but to embrace them not to remain forever doubtful or fearful but to acknowledge that's going on and what can I do to upgrade myself? So, of course, again, humility has to do... Once I found that nice definition of humility in the dictionary, I was curious what the dictionary is saying about humility. And the one I had said an interesting thing, say humility means to have the capacity of acknowledging your own shortcomings or mistakes. So there are different ways of defining humility, but I like that one. That's quite tied with vulnerability, you know, like, okay, I, I have the courage of recognizing my mistakes and I, I won't over identify with them I won't just I'm my mistakes no it's like a dust that is present there and I have to clean the dust from the room you know? and I'm the one to take the the, the the broom and clean the whole thing hmm. but it's there so I acknowledge that and vulnerability means that that moment where I'm again I, I feel small because I'm small <laughs> But I'm connected with something very big also, no? The example sometimes is given when you are in front of the ocean, you will feel small. I mean, if you feel big in front of the ocean, you have some emotion dysfunctionality, you need therapy probably, and they should call you. <laughs> but when you feel small in front of the ocean, it's not that you feel bad about yourself. You feel nice, you feel great, part of something bigger than yourself. But that's an important point of this idea of vulnerability. You, feel, you may feel small in one sense, but in, you feel part of something that is bigger than yourself. And that something is totally loving and charming and beautiful. So it's not a problem. That's the point. It's not the, once you understand that, the more, vulner, the more vulnerable you are in the proper environment, again, the more empowered you will become. Even though it may sound paradoxical, vulnerability and empowerment, Properly understood, one will take to the other. The real empowerment is in recognizing your frailties and failures and being willing to change and doing that in a proper environment. You will become so much filled with empowerment and knowledge and capacities than if you try just to remain, to, to convince yourself I'm perfect, I won't show any mistakes to anyone. 
that is weakening you more and more. Even though externally you may present another picture, we are not interested in the external picture, no? but reality goes beyond what we can see with our eyes. So. In that uh, sense, what are some, mm. I know that this is not a cheap thing, but how in our everyday life we can feel this connection to the bigger thing, <coughs> to the bigger context, and really feel that empowerment coming from that side? Mm. Well, I would say that it's, it's important to, as much as one can, but this is a very traditional practice in different schools that try to make yourself some time in your day where you stop everything you're doing <laughs> and, and try to meditate and pray or, or enter in, in contact with some sacred chants. Different people will have different uh, traditions, but try to enter in touch with, with the, the most sacred space inside of you, try to stop all these like intense dynamics of daily life that are there and we should attend them but also it's good to know when to put pause and for a minute try to focus on certain books of wisdom and hearing the message of, of, of elders and wise people and the, spending some, at least some minutes per day to begin with something that is sustainable it's ideally in the morning if you can, ideally before starting your whole day. And I'm sure that if you are able to do that sustainably on a certain basis, day after day after day, at least some minutes, you will still start to feel, oh, this transforming my life, my day, my day and therefore my week and therefore my month, my years, my life, my person. <clears throat> and gradually, of course, there are certain ways of adjusting some habits you may have in your daily life of course this is a very broad way of replying each person is so unique specific case but as much as you understand okay i may be suffering because i'm doing these things i have these habits these patterns of thought they are not healthy so the more you change hmm, your habits that will create what we call in in, in yoga language some scars which means like impressions different impressions, different results, that in turn, now see, different actions, when done in a different way, in a better way, create impressions that create new habits. And when you put all these new healthy habits together, they create a new sense of personality, actually. And we realize, wow, I mean, I'm still the same, but at the same time, I'm not the same. I mean, I'm seeing myself in a new light, and therefore I'm seeing everyone else and everything else in a new light. But all that like radical, if you will, change of vision may start with some daily small, small great <laughs> changes, if you will, in this pattern of thought, how I express myself, how I see others. And sometimes again, for, for getting the strength of doing those changes, some moments in the day of introspection, meditation, prayer, study, or contact with wise sage people they may be like our daily food no an, an inspiration for then okay what i do with this in my daily life how do i walk the talk as they say in the united states how do i put this into practice and in time you will realize oh this is working there's there's a transformation in me it's possible so you receive some taste some inspiration to continue doing that and of course there's 
no limit to that. I mean, you can grow much more than what you can imagine today. So the, the horizon is quite, quite bright and brilliant. So, but we need to start doing that from wherever we are. No, no need to over-idealize and try to get to a very high thing tomorrow. <laughs> but we have to be experts in establishing short-term goals, middle-term goals, long-term goals in a sustainable way mm-hmm. and try to to keep them and grow in them. So some general idea again. Mm-hmm. Each case is so individual and so many nuances maybe there, but I hope that helps. Yes. Uh, because we're reaching the end of our interview, mm-hmm. uh, what would be mm-hmm. one thing that you would like to invite our viewers to remember or to meditate on? Mm-hmm. Well, Apart from all that we have spoken already, which I think is worthy of meditation, I'm trying myself to do that on a daily basis. <clears throat> I will try to invite all the audience following this episode here to really not lose uh, sight of of this idea of purpose and meaning of who you are and trying to, to keep uh, focus in a direction that really you feel... Hmm, is making your life worth living in connection to eternity again, because eternity puts everything into context. Whatever is temporary, we will pay attention to that. No, we are not neglecting that, but we understand that's here today, gone tomorrow. So the, the main point is how with all those things may be there, may not be there. So how can I be satisfied with myself knowing that those things may not be tomorrow? So how can I enter in touch with something beyond this temporariness and remain there on a daily basis. Get closer to that more and more. And in time we will see, as I mentioned, we'll, there's much more even to eternality. But we have to begin somewhere. No? Mm-hmm. So at least try to leave that door open, this portal. There is something more than the temporariness of the daily agenda, if you will, and dynamics. And have a glimpse of that. Dedicate some time for that. It's really worth value, so valuable. So it's it's the best possible investment we can do for our own self in eternity. Thank you, Maharaj. Thank you for this wonderful mm-hmm. conversation, and I'm really fulfilled. And I hope also our audience would uh, would have nice things to think about and to meditate on. So yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for invitation. My pleasure.